three solid books. That's true. Three solid comics for you. Wednesday delight on Sunday. Now recapping. Or whenever you're listening to this. Welcome to the Ex-Wife Podcast. I'm Alicia. And I'm Justin. Yeah, three I had, I had, solid books. I had nothing. Well, you, but you know, I was going with it. Yeah, you didn't have to admit that. Hey, you know, I, I like to be true. <laughs> All right, well, let's just get right into it, shall we? These are the books we're talking about this week. We've got one Digi, X Men Unlimited number one hundred seven. Continuing that Sunfire story. Mm. Then our Tangies, we have X-Force, number 45, X-Men, number 27, and Immortal X-Men, number 16. Wow. All really, really great issues, including the Infinity Comics. So four. Four. Four great Four comics. great books. Four great comics. Four great comics. Because Infinity is not a book. Four great stories. Oh, yeah. That also works. You know what else we have prepared for this morning? News? News! News, 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 news. So when I initially started working on the news notes, uh, there wasn't much news, right? Mm. So this was this was days ago. We, days we have ago. Since been delayed by various things. Uh, Alicia's cosplay crunch. Yep. Uh, <laughs> but you know, here we are. There are two articles. I'd like to quickly say before oh. getting into the news that I prepared, because you know I can't I can't not have news. You got to have all the news. So I got I just brought some other stuff. But Fantastic Four and the X Men. Yeah. Marvel recapped. That little exchange, oh. the little meet up between Reed, Eric, and Charles, oh. and what was taken. Mm. A nice little little recap that I also had done in a social post before that article went up. So, oh, hey, snap. similar wavelengths. So, what was taken was the knowledge of how to suppress the mutant. How to hide, right? mask. It Got was it. the key word that mask. triggered, right? Another... Interesting article worth reading, I would say. A little overview of the White Hot Room and oh. what that means, where that's come up. Interesting. How that becomes relevant today uh. as Marvel confirms some a location mm-hmm. for some people. Mystery, intrigue. Frustration. Gods. God. Oh, shoot. Yeah, I'm going to say it. You didn't remind me. Hey, you know. So we, we moved from Saturday to Sunday and I said, well, the only reason, the only, the only way that we can do that is you have it's to read God's. Weeks. And I said, I will. And then I got up this morning and I started painting and then I said, let's record. You should yep, have said yep. you didn't read God's yet. I didn't want to delay it. Okay. It was good. And there's a lot of articles about it. There's a lot of interesting you know, details coming out. I will read it. It is Hickman's other big idea. Oh. So in the... Initial conversation pitch session as he was going to come back to Marvel. House of X and Powers of Ten was... Idea number one. Idea number one. Gods was idea number two. Oh. Unclear as to how long this series will be. Uh, Comixology has it of eight. Oh. Which, you know, I, I enjoyed the first one. It was a chonker of a book, you know, like 64 pages. And Whoa. beautiful art, Valerio Schiti killing it. Well, yeah. And just conceptually, really big picture, really 
taking a lot of things that are beyond my grasp as a casual reader of the Marvel Universe and bringing in a little bit more so. I think it could have been a little bit more hand-holdy on some of the, uh, the bigger concepts, but that's Hickman. He'll play it out over the next couple You'll get it eventually. Issues. Exactly. Just, just go with it. <laughs> There's an article talking about Marvel's New York Comic Con giveaways, booth signings, panels, and more. And more. Things to be aware of as we get ready for New York Comic Con. Which is just a mere four days away. Four days away. It also brings into the thought of like, okay, when does the next episode of the podcast come out? TBD. <laughs> Great TBD. question. You know, we don't know. Uh, that's going to be difficult because we'll be traveling on Thursday, which is normally when we used to record. <laughs> <laughs> And we'll be traveling back on Sunday. Mm, we'll see. Yeah. I don't think we're going to record in the hotel. Mm, no. We no. always say like, yeah, we'll do that. And then Yeah. It's just the fact that you got to prep for it, got to actually record, and then do anything with it. There have been times that we've recorded and then I'm just like, well, I'm oh, not yeah, going to edit it. I'm not going right. to edit it. I have a new segment <gasps> of the news. Did you know that the news has segments? I did. Oh, really? Okay. Like you usually talk about like articles and then there's like comic news yeah okay and then mcu news okay so what's the new segment the new segment is called data is beautiful oh shoot it is not going to be a regular segment it's gonna be you know maybe once a month maybe twice a month depending on when there's something to talk about but data is beautiful the idea had come from me just casually pouring over the state of comics the top 25 comics over the last year or so just mm-hmm. just you know the internet curiosities and then interest in learning more about the industry and yeah. like how things are going just and then barusu 33 commenting last week asking for more you know yeah. hey is there more there so the fact that basically someone encouraged me to go further, uh, you're so, gonna. someone gave me the blank check of just like, yeah, I want to do more of that, please. Data. So we had some follow-up conversation and some questions, and that gave me a, an idea of like, okay, so because you can look at data in a variety of different ways, mm-hmm. the questions of what you're trying to pull from it, that's what really gets into the story of it. Pastry Jordan sent me a really great meme about oh, yeah. Legos and, and organizing and telling a story. And, and yeah, it was just... The process of data yeah. coming together. Now, I would love... So I have a handful of questions from Barusu33. Mm-hmm. Would love any additional conversation or, or kind of community collaboration around what this. What kind of data do you want to know? Right? What, what do people want to know? What's interesting? But the first couple of questions that came up, how X books are doing in relation to other Marvel books and DC books? What both of your thoughts are why they are doing well or not? How we as fans might bring those numbers up so X stories continue to be told because if no one buys them, then they will eventually fade away. And mm-hmm. any insights you both would have would be more than welcome. So they're just kind of like general ideas, a couple of specifics, especially at the top. So are you ready? I'm so ready. Tell me. How are X books doing compared to other books? So I have a couple of things. Oh. And, and a lot of things are going to center around the fact that it's the first episode of the month. Mm-hmm. So we do have sales data from September. Oh. Normally, in the last year, and, and typically, do you remember, I had said this maybe a couple of weeks ago, who were the characters that pulled in those top spots? Spider-Man. Yep. And some Batman. Of, yep, yep. 
someone from the distinguished competition, as <laughs> I've heard it referred to as. Yep. Spider-Man and Batman, normally the top books. Uh-huh. September 2023, the top book was neither. <gasps> and was actually quite a surprise to me seeing it. Who is it? You did not really like this book, Uh-oh. but we read it for the podcast. Uh-oh. A number one, a combination of two franchises written by Benjamin Percy. Predator vs. Wolverine, number one, a $7.99 comic book, was the top-selling book in September. If you guys could see my face right now. Disgusted. What? 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 Well, there you go. There you go. There's your freaking proof that if Wolverine is in a comic, It'll and sell. then you put a movie franchise in a comic, boom, 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 number one. Number one. Garbage. A couple of insights to pull from it. So 16 out of the top 25 were Marvel books. Okay. So 64% of the top 25 comics. That's good. I love it. I love that you did that. I math. did the math. Yeah. so excited about that. Eight. So half of those books. Out of the top 25 were mutant related. Oh, shoot. 32% of the top 25. And 50% of the 16 that Marvel, that, that's, that's huge, huge right? Yeah. Just in terms of how, so specifically Marvel versus DC in that first data point mm-hmm. and X-Men versus the full top 25. And the reason right. I started pulling top 25 was primarily just because it made a nice clean screenshot. Yeah, that's good. I could good. just save it. Top 25 is a great number. And it was merciless. It was like, okay, oh no. X-Force is number 26. Too bad. Doesn't it get included in the data set? <laughs> Except you did just mention it. That was, I just pulled that <laughs> as an example because it's in front of me. But yes, the issue that I found was that when I went back too far mm-hmm. or, or the furthest I went back, they only at a point would give you the top 20 Oh, for free. Oh. Yeah. So I don't know if, like, oh, if I'm going to... you guys should see the look in Justin's eyes like, okay, but I might need to get them. I might do like in the same way that I would subscribe to a streaming service and binge for a month. Mm-hmm. I might subscribe to this service and get the full data and you know get, get some other insights. Anyway. <laughs> anyway. Those eight books. Predator versus Wolverine. Number one. At number one. Can you guess who some of the next books were? Some of the next books. One has been selling pretty well consistently over the last year and is one of our books today. Immortal X-Men. 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 X-Men was number six of the top 25. Uncanny Spider-Man number one at number nine. Immortal X-Men 15 at 14. Uncanny Avengers number two at 17. Wolverine 37 at 19. Dark X-Men number two at 21. Wow. And Ghost Rider, Wolverine, Weapons of Vengeance, Omega number one at 24. Interesting to point out that Jerry and Ben have two top books. Spots. Two books in the top 25. That's good. That's interesting. That's it's just, great. You know, yeah. Data is beautiful. Data is beautiful. There have been... Transition. I was going to say, end of segment. End of segment. <laughs> there have been rumors about... MCU X-Men pitch sessions opening up. Uh, oh. Hey, come in. Tell us what story you would do. How would no. we start to build it? So it's still years out. Right, right, right. But, but, but the rumblings. The rumblings are there. Loki premiered. Yeah, it did. We went to a screening. Got to watch the first two episodes, oh which was really gosh. exciting. And then immediately watched the first episode again when it came out. I'm so ready. I love Loki so much. 
Any personal news that you'd like to share? Oh, personal news. Well, okay, so I have two two little snippets of personal news. One is like just fun personal news, and the other one is like a little promotional thing. So the first is that uh, I'm really close to finishing Shadow Cat, and hey. I need to tell you all that there was a moment in time when I almost abandoned everything and said, nope, I can't do it. I can't continue. I bought the wrong fabric. I made the pants in the top. They were terrible. I had to go back and make new fabric. Then I was like just looking at it on my mannequin and I was like, this is not, this is not it. <laughs> this is not happening for me. I've, I've got to give up. But then I abandoned all patterns and just started doing what I do best, which is just draping fabric and messing around until it comes out how I like it. Mm. And mm. I, after that, I was like, oh my God, yes. And like... I took an undershirt and I cut pieces off that to make it smaller. And then I made those pieces into little like cap sleeves. And like I was just in my zone. So all day what yesterday. I, yeah, literally all day yesterday. What I really know about myself as a cosplayer is that I work best when I just let the materials speak to me and I don't go in with a plan. When I have a plan and a pattern and I'm following someone else's directions, even though that's, you know, quote unquote how you're supposed to sew it just doesn't go well for me it just (laughs) doesn't um the other little bit of news is there's this really cool app called marco polo and i don't know if y'all know it but i'm obsessed with it and i've been using it for years to kind of (laughs) communicate to kind of communicate with friends who are long distance and um you know friends who are close by that I just never see because we all have crazy lives. And so essentially it's like a video messaging app where you can record video messages to each other back and forth. I usually like listen to them like a podcast while I'm driving and like talk to my friends in the car and that's how I communicate with my close friends. I I hear their kids talk. I usually do it when I'm cosplaying, all of this stuff. So anyway, right now I'm an ambassador for Marco Polo. So if you're like, what the heck is this? And I want to try it. You can go to my Instagram, which is at Wilder Moves. And there's a link in my bio for Marco Polo Plus, which will give you two free months of Marco Polo. However, the app itself is free. So you can like download it and just communicate with people and not have to pay for the app. The Plus version gives you things like you can listen to their messages on up to like three times the speed and you can send photos and you can send videos from your camera roll and you can write notes and all this stuff. It's really cool. But I'm thinking about in in, um, sort of the ambassador role, we're learning more stuff about the app and I found out that you can do this thing called the ShareCast. And so I'm thinking of adding that to our Patreon where in order to access it, you would have to download the app, but it could just be fun ways for Justin and I to share messages with you for you to see like our prep right before we record or... Um, you know, see me doing cosplay stuff or like, oh my God, look at this craziness I'm packing for New York Comic Con. This is a mess. So if you're already a Patreon subscriber, keep your eyes peeled for that. And if you're not, it's just going to be an additional thing we add to our Patreon. Our Patreon is $3 a month. It's really not a huge moneymaker for us. It's just a little way to help us with like some of the stuff that goes into the production of the podcast and also a way for us to continue to connect with you on a weekly or three times a month basis. (laughs) But I think with this ShareCast option, We'd be able to connect with you all so much easier without any like post-production work. So kind of into it. And I think I'm going to give it a whirl uh, in preparation for New York Comic Con. It'll also be a fun way for us to give you all some behind the scenes of New York Comic Con and all the craziness that we're doing. So that's my plug. Join us on Patreon. Check out Marco Polo. 
commercials done. Wow. Wow. But in all honesty, like I love Marco Polo because it's so fun. <laughs> commercials were done. Nah, but I'm still saying it. What about you? What's your personal news? I have gotten unsettlingly invested in Dungeons and Dragons. <laughs> I worry about my free time and how I'm just pouring over a lot of different things. Just just exploring. It, it started, so we played our third session mm -hmm. last Sunday and... I have gotten more in tuned with knowing who the other people in the party are, knowing what they can do, knowing their proclivities, their yeah. alignments, basically just casing the whole thing, mm -hmm. doing, you know, I have high wisdom and high intelligence. So I'm in, in all of the things trying to get a sense of who these people are, really hyped about the fact that my lawful evil guy i looked up lawful evil examples darth vader and magneto mm -hmm. like yep that's that's treasus and that checks yep i started reading some of the books started looking through like other campaigns started looking at maps that there's you know like tokens hero icons like i just got obsessively I'm, into it i'm excited about you getting into it i think it's good yeah it's a good thing it's fun it it Took over most of the day yesterday as you were cosplaying. And I was just like, well, what about this? Well, what about this? And all these other things. And yeah, that's that's really what's going on. I love it. Other interesting bit of news to kind of plug something. We got an advanced copy of oh, the yeah. Claremont Run's new book. So the Claremont Run is a Twitter and Instagram profile that has been doing micro dissemination of data from Claremont's 16 year run, mm. their findings, insights that they've pulled and they published a book. And so we got an advanced copy of the Claremont run subverting gender in the X-Men mm. talking about what a Claremontian woman is, mm. a Claremont woman. And a lot of the insights drawn from who these badass women are, how it changes the dynamics in superhero comics at large mm. and contributed to a lot of really powerful female characters that are still front and center today. That's awesome. That might have to be a uh, post-surgery read for me. That'd be great because we could then have them on the show to talk about it. Yeah, we could. That'd be dope. And I got a new office at work. That was yeah, the first thing that I, that I wrote down. But Yay. whatever. Hey, we have a poll. A poll. Three items, three entries in the poll. Who won? What's the percentage? Immortal X-Men won. You know it. It won by 63%. 67%. Oh, my God. I'm so mad. I almost said 67, and then I said it. You always say 67. Say something Two different. Two-thirds of the vote on a three-book poll won by one of those books. Wow. 28% for... X-Men. X-Men. 5% for X-Force. Which is really interesting. I just, uh, I love Data. I love it. I love Data. Was Immortal X-Men your book of the week? It was. It was not yours was as not you mine. expressed. It was not mine. It was not. X-Men was my book of the week. There you go. We'll talk about that soon enough. But first, let's talk about X-Men Unlimited. Let's talk about that Sunfire story. Shiro Splinter. I'm really enjoying this story. I 
do though in this issue I felt what you had been talking about about how you wanted this to be a mini because I think I would have liked a little bit more expansion on the individual battles that Sunfire is facing with all of these different other worldian creatures you know like seeing a little bit more action but we were traversing through the other world's desert and we're encountering lots of different monsters and we're we're understanding like is this is this the right path can sunfire do this right is it more intense than he actually assumed and uh, is it something that he's going to be able to survive and thrive in as he's being led to Red Root's whereabouts? And then we we reach what is almost the end of the story, and we Ooh, we uh, that, encounter that possessed summoner. That Ooh. was that was intense. See, that that I feel like could have been a whole, a whole thing, a whole issue, yeah, right. itself. And you know, Sunfire's struggling a little, but who saves the day? Who's that? Who is it? Tell me who it is. It's my beautiful cowboy sheriff from the other world. Yes, that is exactly how we will refer to her as because I can't remember her name I right know, now. I and know. I'm trying to pull up the issue and stall, but it's she, just not happening. I will say, so I don't know if y'all remember, um, at one point I had said I loved her and I wanted to cow- uh, to cosplay her, to cowboy her. I wanted to cosplay her. And... Um, when she came back in the panel, I was like, that's it. She has two appearances. I can cosplay her now. She's got at least two. She's got a handful. Yeah. But like she came back, you know, like she wasn't just a side character in that other world story with like the crooked market and all of that. Like she is now she's here. Whitechapel. And I love her. I love her vibe. I'm super into it. It's funny because I was talking to a friend who loves X-Men, but does not actively read the current comics. And... I was saying about how you're working on Kate's new look. Mm-hmm. And he was like, oh, a pirate? Like, uh, no, a ninja now. And he's like, okay. And I was like, you know, next is a cowboy because common tropes. And then here we have Whitechapel, who looks an astonishingly amount of similarities to Kate Pride in a cowboy outfit. I'm going to be, it's going to happen. Not yeah. like probably after surgery, after recovery, all that jazz, but... She's on my list. I was so excited to see her come back. And I also think it's interesting that there's going to be help for Sunfire in this journey. Like, it's not a completely solo mission. Which is great. I think that that adds a lot more intrigue and dynamics, especially as he's traversing the other world realms. Two of them were mentioned in Gods, Sevalith and Mercator, which I think is interesting. Mm. Hickman having done a lot of that work with Teeny on Ten of Swords. Rufy O'Connor. Yes. Said giant size X-Men Sunfire. Yeah. That's what it that's what it was. That's what it could have been. I know. Easy win. You get the full story, one shot issue, boom. Maybe they'll do I know they didn't really go back to doing anything with printing the Marvel Unlimited or the X-Men Unlimited stories after X-Men Green, but maybe they'll do a print version of this. They should. Just saying, Marvel, you know, all those big ups at Marvel who listen to our show. They have <laughs> printed a handful of the Hellfire Gala comics in subsequent printings of the Hellfire Gala story. So that's, that's promising. A right. it's, yeah. it's at least a thought out there in the universe. With a couple of general points mm. before we get into the physical books, the tangies. Rufy O'Connor, again, it, calling it out three 
solid books, all great. Several audible gasps while yeah, reading and yeah. would agree. You know, th- those big reveals, the turns. It was a great week for comics. Captain 2 Michael had a thought about who Nemesis could be in Alpha Flight, but would not be happy if they revealed her to be Silver Fox, a connection to Logan in yet another book. Ooh. Right? But, and, and also a connection to Canada. But now he's definitely on the Heather vote train. Ah, yes. Heather. That's uh, Guardian's wife. Yep. Yeah. Manu Mutato, wondering if Alicia is going to read Inferno slash is down for a Maddie cosplay, will there be an Inferno episode? Okay, so... Manu Mutato. Let me tell you. First of all, yes and yes. I I started reading Inferno like right before we moved and everything went crazy. And I have read, I think, two issues so far. I have like the compilation trade paperback of Justin's. It is ready to go. It is going to be like the first thing I read post-surgery. I've already like decided because I need to know everything. I'm I'm sick of not knowing and I want to read it. So once I read it, I feel that A, A, an episode about Inferno will definitely be in the works. And B, I've been plotting to do a Maddie cosplay for a while. And after I did Celine, right. I put Celine on and I said, oh, look at this. I have a cape with a, a, a gem that can be replaced easily. I already have the boots and I'm pretty much halfway to a cosplay. So I just need a wig and a top and here we go. So yes, yes, Maddie will be coming down the pipeline eventually. Yeah, it, uh, it was intended to happen an episode previously, but it never, never came to fruition. It's funny because Alicia had shared a throwback reel mm. from when we had the God Loves Man Kills episodes and the, the song that we randomly broke out into <laughs> during that recording. Pastry Jordan responded, is like, oh, Silver Age ex-wife podcast when you used to serenade us. <laughs> And that was that was delightful. Yes, we used to sing a lot more. We did. We made up songs on the spot a lot more. Speaking of songs, uh, I do want to mention Captain Two Michael was drawing some some comparisons. You know the Euro Trip movie. Mm-hmm. Scotty doesn't know. Yeah. So he was giving uh, alternate lyrics to Ascani doesn't know. Oh my god! And I thought that that was funny. That is funny. Yeah. Ready to talk about X-Force? Yes, I am. Are you ready to talk about that amazing cover? I love this cover. So much intrigue here with Colossus in a jail of sorts, similar to his captured counterparts. Yeah. And, and Mikhail head floating in the background. I just really love the layout of this cover and how it's happening on so many different planes of existence yes, at once. Yes, It's really cool. The colors yes. are super dope. Oh, yeah. And I also think of the characters to be pulled out, like Quentin and Laura are interesting choices yeah so i'm excited i'm excited here we go page turn noise the chronicler is internal monologue of reflection and the story that's been built thus far yes refocusing on orcus outside of the main characters i like this approach right right you don't go for the main character that's not the narrator that's not the way you infiltrate this is some some literary analysis from ben from the inspiration right, for right. this new character, which I think is a really interesting way to build out this new character that he's been working on all this time as this literary counterpart. He is a guy that writes a lot of books, reads mm-hmm. a lot of books, 
I think it makes a lot of sense. Yeah, we're not going to infiltrate Krakoa by getting in Charles Xavier's head. We're going to do it with someone on the side, but also someone who's always present and someone who can be trusted. And so we kind of get that information as to why Colossus has been chosen and why our new recruit from Orcus is also in that same boat. Junwei. They're always in the background. They're at every meeting. They're around. They're observing. So clearly they're trusted. Really interesting way to retcon the presence of a character that's been there the whole time, but we never knew. Mm. Right? Colossus actively hunting for his replacement, looking for the person that will take on the Chronicler's focus. Yes. And they are kidnapped and we get a little little data page bio some stats on who they are and we learn about the fact that they have a pretty uh twisted mutant past they may have been in an altercation with the brotherhood of evil mutants at some point their parents definitely were as they were killed by magneto and the brotherhood shout out to astra being here i just recently did a patreon episode with grand Ah. lane getting into astra and her history the creator of joseph Yes. Topical, relevant. Hey, the Chronicler is calling it. You know, Mikhail, he's a manipulator. He'll turn on anyone. I don't trust him. I'm here for some self-preservation. We need to get Piotr's story into a a nice little ellipses, a little what could be next for you to a blank page where I I just love the the visual of Colossus being lost in this darkness as Mm. he approaches the blank canvas of paint. Yes, and I also am very excited that it was more that the Chronicler was able to to shift focus without immediately having Colossus have to die because I know that that was something the Chronicler was worried about in the last issue was like Kyle didn't care if right but like if I you know just abandon Colossus's story what will happen for him so you know thankful that he's not dead and instead he's being left with this canvas to sort out what's happening in his mind as we get to our title page Chronicles. A slip of the pen. Written by Benjamin Percy. Art by Robert Gill. Colors Guru EFX. Letters Joe Caramagna. This is Joe Caramagna. Daniel Acuna on that amazing cover. Mm-hmm. Hey, Deadpool. What are you doing? Uh, listen, don't talk to me. I'm an Avenger now. I'm I'm doing serious Super Avenger business. Super busy with ninjas, stuff all over the place. Hey, X-Force is like 90s cool, but yeah. not Avengers cool. Yeah. I'm on a different tier. You don't have an island. You don't have a Deadpool. Right. Like, I'm really here for the perks, okay? And the perks of being an Avenger include include being at this pool and uh, pretending you can't see me during our video call while I sip on my fancy drink and jump in the pool. Yep, cannonballs, the, the open wounds in the pool yeah. call out. That was yeah. gross, yeah. Yeah, so at least we've got some, we've, we've got an acknowledgement of the separation of Deadpool from the team. Hmm. Meanwhile, Sage and Domino still need to get to the bottom of this ring of Mikhail's. How does it interact with his sort of no place that he's created? And and what? how do we decipher this type of technology? Because Sage can't do it. It's not binary. It's beyond numbers. It's some kind of different thing where voices and atomized devices. We need to call on a specialist. We need to head out to the Sanctum Sanctorum. Ooh, but we'll come back to that because our new uh, recruit. recruit is not really thrilled about 
being a recruit for Mikhail's team. She hates mutants. The mutant cause is not mine. As the Chronicler's power slowly takes over, the pen dictating what June's story will be. Stop that. What do you to actively see it happening as it's mm. taking over her free will is really interesting. Yeah, for sure. Like seeing the process of of her being conflicted with like these thoughts are not my own. As we see Colossus working through some thoughts of his own, getting to the core of his relationship with his brother as he paints this disturbing image. Yes, of him being eaten essentially by his brother. Yeah. What I really love oh so God. much about this issue is that so much is happening and we're just constantly bouncing from one scene to the next that like we're just getting little tidbits so you want to just keep reading because you're like, but what happens next? But what happens next? I mean, this is a long-term payoff, right? right? This has been set up for a while. Mm-hmm. Even if the specifics of like the sub base and what's going on with Deadpool, you know, that's kind of like a B-plot added in since the fall of X. But the Colossus story has been there from, you know, Ben says since issue one, since he appeared on that boat and had been influenced by Russia Mm. on page a couple issues later, as we've seen that influence in the data pages. But first, Sage and Domino have to sneak in to see their friend, Doctor Strange. Doctor Strange is here to help you know i what why should i trust you i don't mind mutants even even now even with you guys all having a target on your back but this is not magic tell me about mikhail's powers how Mm. does it work yes i really enjoyed this because i got a deeper understanding of mikhail's powers and how exactly they work because i didn't fully know so i love a good in world Info dump. Yeah. Steven's on the case and he has some ideas, some telepathic notations of Doctor Strange, understanding Mikhail's powers, finding some similarities and examples about them. Ooh, then we get to come back to the Chronicler and Mikhail is very anxious to get this new recruit on the ground and running. It's a process, man. It's more art than science, and I need to really invest in this. Do you see the Chronicler crying in that third panel? I do. The fact that he needs this ability to bond with someone, but you are a man of action, so let's see how you appreciate this next action I take as John pulls the secret gun from her person and shoots Mikhail in the blam, back. Blam, blam. Yes, Mikhail, dead. Maybe. Uh, I don't know about looks dead. looks pretty dead in yeah, that. He's also on the cover of the next issue, so I don't know if I would sing his death All right. so quickly. But the Chronicler maybe didn't plan his backup. I you know. know. He, he's too lost in cheering for Mikhail being taken down. He has left the pad and pen telling Jin's story as to what goes on next. So that she has the free will to decide, well, I've killed one of the mutants. I might as well kill the other. Oh, I would be so upset if the Chronicler dies right now. I know. But I think that in this next panel where he's he picks up in his quill and he starts to write again and says, they could help each other now. And with time, maybe they could even be friends. And you see... Her face starts to change. Right. So hopefully. I mean, he's definitely writing. He's right. definitely stopping her in some way, but it, it just, it was not fully thought out. But then we get, you know, little clips of 
all of the other members of X-Force who are in this no place that now that Mikhail has been distracted and is injured or dead, or we don't know, injured, I guess, he uh, he lo- loses his concentration and the no place starts to disintegrate around them. Right, we were talking about this in Stephen's data, his analysis of what would happen if this were to be disrupted while people were in it. It would just kind of like expel them from this place. But now we're seeing it as Colossus finds his injured brother. He says, brother. And then it says, to be continued. A tale of two brothers. Next, that cover. Mm. This is solid advancement on the plot throughout. And then the big twist at the end of just Mikhail and and the Chronicler, I, I thought it was a great issue. Yeah. The introduction of that human on the sidelines. This is just a fun retcon ad. Right. Making it possible to play with what they know and what they could do. I always like when we connect to the wider Marvel Universe, which seems to be happening more and more. Making me think that we're not necessarily getting a full end to the Krakoan story, but rather a wider integration. The fact that you have Doctor Strange yeah. here working with the mutants in their current plight. Avengers tie in and even referencing that in this issue. Yeah, it's very exciting to see little whispers of more. Yeah, I'm super excited for the next issue. The cover is all sorts of interesting and seems to resolve the Colossus plot. But I think that what I've been calling out, the half-issue wrap-up of the Gene Engineer or the half-issue wrap-up of Nimrod Beast, we're actually seeing across three issues at least, mm-hmm. which is good. Yes, you're happy about that. I'm happy about that. That's a good thing. What about you? I loved it. I mean, I, I'm always a fan of X-Force for the most part. Usually a fan of X-Force. That's what I'll say. <laughs> and Diplomacy. I... But I am. I am. I generally like the stories and I really loved the pacing of this and the... It felt like the the climax of an action movie when multiple things are happening in multiple locations and you're kind of just getting quick clips of like how they're all happening and it helps you sort of feel and align that they are happening simultaneously because you're not hearing or reading the entirety of one of these stories and then getting the other you're kind of seeing the snippets happen side by side so you can get a sense of how the team is doing each thing individually and then they're going to come together I like seeing Sage and Domino sort of on their own track and and doing something that is not centered around someone else's orders, but it's them sort of taking the lead. Figuring and I'm interested to see what happens now that the no place is sort of disappearing. And it seems like the rest of X-Force is going to be able to escape their captors a little bit more easily. You know, in my mind, I imagine like Laura gets out, then gathers Quentin, and then they go together to free Omega Red, and then they meet up with Colossus, and then that's just the end of it, you know? And I also think as a turn in the story, you know, we were thinking about how Mikhail was shifting his focus to Orcus, and was that going to help in the downfall of Orcus? But I don't think that anymore because I feel like the relationship with this Orcus recruit is not quite what it was originally intended for. Like now that the Chronicler is free and maybe is only going to write this story enough to be able to save his own life and not continue to control this person, I think that we won't really see Russian interference interference in Orcus the way that I had originally thought, which 
kind of leaves this open-ended as far as like where this plot is going to go in my mind. Like I don't have any expectations really going into the next issue. I do sort of feel like the brother's issue might be a little bit more of a retrospective and might go back into like how that. we got into where we are now. I think that versus... that's been missing from just any kind of yeah. character story between the two. It's just been the specifics of their past and no depth to explore that. I feel like that would be really great. I feel like because I I think Mikhail might die. And it could be interesting if there was sort of this he's on his deathbed sort of thing and Colossus is struggling to kind of grapple with what does their relationship mean at this point? What have they been through in the past? How did they get here? And now how does he reconcile his brother's death? I don't know. That's that's what I think I would like to see in the next issue. Um, I just don't think Mikhail should be the main threat for the X-Men or X-Force anymore. So that's with that happening like maybe he won't die completely but i do think he's not gonna like strongly recover from this situation yeah and friedrich shouting out that cover give me all the daniel acuna yes yeah yeah we're here for the new cover artist team this is amazing michael loves mariah carey is cheering oh my goodness it's finally happening in x-force i want the next issue now yeah yes We've been building up to this for so long, and now it's hitting on all sides. Fake Torta said it was the best X-Force issue in a long time, mm. except Deadpool. <laughs> Love the narrator's voice. And to just bring that in as mm-hmm. another piece to the puzzle, the fact that the Chronicler is getting more and more agency, I would love to see that character continue on. Yeah. It's such a unique power, and who knows what they would do if not under the control of a tyrant. Right. That's also true. Blanchina is glad to see Percy seemingly heading to the finish line for his books, or at least wrapping up everything originally introduced, which that does feel mm. like what's going on. You know, the, the Beast saga over in Wolverine, the X-Force saga with Colossus. These are things that have been carrying through since the start. Yeah. Rem Springer hates Mikhail, which, <laughs> yes. <laughs> Agreed. Agreed all around. Vaderino said, Chronicler got himself killed by overlooking a plot hole. Her hatred is stronger than his powers during these early stages. Felt pretty poetic. I, mean, I hope he doesn't die. Yeah, I do too. But that would be a poetic ending. The fact that he trusted in her compassion or her desire for freedom in the same way that he was desiring it. How long has he been in this no place area? Right. We don't even know. Yeah, he is an interesting character that I would like to see have life in other iterations. So I hope that he doesn't die. Warlion saying that X-Force serves as a great reminder that a lot of the mutant haters are created because of mutants' actions. Yeah, it's true. So that true. was interesting, yeah. yeah. X- X-Force as a whole reads well and is enjoyable, but why can't Ben Percy deliver on the ending of the plots? First the Gene Engineer and now the anticlimactic ending of Mikhail. And I don't know, I feel like this is much more... A softer landing than the Gene Engineer. I felt like the Gene Engineer is the first of the plot points that I was like, hey, what's going on? How are you going to tease me for all these? Because that that guy appeared in issue one as well. Mm-hmm. And that wrapped in half an issue recently. I would say that the Mikhail story feels like it's softening its land. It's, it's landing a lot easier than the quickness of that and the Nimrod beast. Let me with. Yeah, I... I mean, I guess like I'm just I was trying to think about where that 
idea is coming from. And I guess, you know, the one kill shot kind of thing is is maybe the perspective that Warline's coming at. Like, boom, you shoot him and then that's it. But I do think there has been an uprising of the Chronicler over the last few issues that is leading to his push for his own freedom in that story. Yeah. But to to speak on the other point of, you know, the fact that a lot of people's disdain for mutants is because of an experience that they had, it's true because there are, you know, a lot of... They in all In all superhero universes, there is the idea that in a battle, in a moment, there are innocent bystanders that get affected by these things, which clouds or creates a distaste for the people who uprooted their lives to fight whatever for whatever cause it is that they're fighting for you think about mysterio in the mcu right right just the fact that he was slighted by tony stark and that drove him Mm -hmm. to but in this instance like her parents were literally just people who died because of a battle that was happening Magneto. Right, because of something Magneto did, but not even that Magneto attacked the family. Just that they were sort of caught in the crossfires and and it's that kind of disregard for the people who are caught in those crossfires that then creates this negative feeling towards mutants. Speaking about negative feelings towards mutants, how do you feel about this X-Men cover? Oh, God. Scott Summers. So many people, so many of the comments thought that this was the giant mislead that they were expecting more about Cyclops and him being captured, especially with this being a prominent cover image. Uh, Yeah. I mean, I think we will get to that. I think this was the tease of that. And I can understand, you know, as a person who's like, tell me what, tell me how this cover relates to the issue. Like I totally get that. But as, as art, in of itself, yes. this cover is gorgeous. As a Joshua Casera fan, disturbingly gorgeous. This is amazing. Yeah, and just rocking those '90s blues with the terrifying eyes sewn shut and the the facial expression of anguish. It's all just great. Just like the the leaking out. Yeah, triggered. Yeah, it's great. Here we go. Page turn noise. <laughs> Ready for a jailbreak. It's my girl. Shadow Cat. Shadow Cat. Coming in through the Orcus facility, continuing her goal of getting a, a head count of yeah. all the mutants and, you know, vowing to sort of also take down Orcus one little place at a time, one building at a time. And we get what I went, ooh, it's just like the movie. Mm. This, uh, little moment of the juggernaut being in jail and the phasing being what saves him. X-Men 3, The Last Stand, I believe, is the movie you're talking about mm-hmm. as Shadowcat infiltrates into Juggernaut's cell and Kane says, hey, I'm, I'm tied to someone on the other side. That's what's been keeping me here. Mm-hmm. Find out it's Cyclops. Cyclops asleep in some kind of drugged pain a lot of people were wondering why didn't they try to communicate in any way, but it seems that he's unconscious in some way, and Kate is able to phase into his body and see that they've booby-trapped him completely. Yes, so if she was to free him, it would essentially trigger a kill switch, and 
she would not be able to. The emotional pain in her facial expressions. It's just like, I love Phil Noto. I say it all the time. This was great. Mm-hmm. And so she's, she basically gives gives Jugs the rundown. She's like, hey, listen, I can get this collar off you. I can't. Cyclops is on the other side. I can't quite help him. So I need you to just sort of hold tight for me. I'm going to go reconfer with the team, refigure out some things, and come on back. But don't worry. I'm here for you. We're all X-Men now. Resist. Resist. And that is on our next page. The title, Resist. Road Trip. Ooh, written by Jerry Duggan. Art by Phil Noto. Letters, Clayton Cowles. VCs, Clayton Cowles. Joshua Kassar and Guru EFX on that disturbing cover. So good. The X-Men got a plan. We've got Cerebro, just a, a found, uh, I think it was Barusu33 wanted to know what was Legacy House. Legacy House was introduced in, I believe, X-Force. Yes. As a... Auction house. Yeah, they collect mutant artifacts of some kind and they sell it off to the highest bidder. That was where Beast bought Wolverine mm-hmm. initially in that run. But yeah, they're talking about this plan to recover Reed's idea. His, his little science project. Yes. And this is where, you know, we don't get a lot of character characterization for Rasputin. Like, we don't know a lot about her personality or who <laughs> she is. And I think it's funny that, you know, she was essentially created. She's created by Sinister. She only ever had conversations with Sinister. Her mindset is very task-oriented. And we're getting to see that, you know? Like, all of her sentences, I will succeed. I can do this. Like... She's like no no mess around, no BS, no fluff. Yeah, I I, I gotta be honest, it, it hit me in a in a strange way. I liked it because it was it was weird and it felt like the ultimate soldier mentality, mm-hmm. right? And that's it's kind of what she is. But it also felt really cold and devoid of some of the emotions that we've seen in her other appearances since coming to the Krakoan era, right? The way yeah. that she has joy when speaking with Ms. Marvel, the way that she speaks about with reverence to Professor X. You know, I just feel like there was some of that notes of character that felt stripped down for this soldier on a task, mm. which made sense because of the task. Yeah. It that's... just, it was interesting in a different way. Yeah. That's what I was going to say when you were saying, when you started speaking was that I think she kind of goes into like, okay, now I'm in task mode and she doesn't quite know how to differentiate having a more personable interaction with accomplishing a task. And I think that's sort of what is cool about her relationship with Kamala because I think that will help her, that friendship will help her understand how to integrate those two things together and not just basically like flip a switch and become like, Super soldier can't focus on anything else. And we get details of her relationship with Kamala on the data page. In the next data page, some Oof. breakdown of her desire to prevent Kamala's fall mm. in the future, how she might be of assistance here, and some detail on how her power levels interact with each other. Right. And, uh, yeah, so she's made up of five different mutants but she doesn't have them all at full strength right so you know some are a little bit more intense than others and now we're gonna take the cooler than the blackbird flying car everybody loves it the fantastic flying lincoln mm-hmm. all the way to arizona to catch up with the ff as they land in this field 
and come to Ben Grimm, the thing, who's like, hey, whoa, what's all this? Smacked. Yes, I did think it was comical, but obviously a little too over the top, the hostility that Rasputin has for people she doesn't know and she's just appearing at their home and going to destroy them. That It just felt like a a lack of situational awareness Mm. and that didn't strike with what would otherwise be someone who has tactical abilities and the ability to mind scan thing. Mm -hmm. There was a lot of conversation about the use of the word Gollum and how that is, Ben is Jewish. Oh. Gollum is a creature in Jewish lore and how that this might have been seen as anti-Semitic. Oh. Which was not something on my radar it actually came through Jonathan Loves X-Men had posted on Twitter and there was some conversation about how that could be read. I don't know that Jerry did that. I don't I would be surprised if Jerry yeah. made that specifically. Honestly, when I read it, and it might have been because my D&D binge, I thought of a rock golem. And that was immediately what I thought of because those are the only instances of that term, that that creature that I know of. Um so when you I just like really quickly Googled Gollum and is an animated anthropomorphic being in Jewish folklore, which is entirely created from inanimate matter, usually clay or mud. So to me, that feels like that's what she's associating. Like you are this thing, not meant to be specific about Jewish culture, right? Not meant to be like negative in that, but more like, I associate you with this thing in my mind that is an inanimate object that has been given life. Like, so, but like, obviously. Interesting to hear that and to be educated on more specifics beyond what we would know at Mm -hmm. a first read. For sure. I think just the fact that Sink and Talon are visibly upset with Rasputin's actions should be a clue into what you should and shouldn't be doing. And she just escalates it further as she... Goes toe-to-toe with Johnny Storm and just puts him to sleep. Puts him to sleep. I know it's it's interesting and I totally hear what you're saying because it does seem a little bit extreme that she's just going so hard. But It feels like an abandonment of tactics. But I also think that think about where she came from. Think about like the end of Sins of Sinister that like there was no – there were not villains or, or adversaries that you go up against that were negotiating, that were willing to have a conversation like – the fighting in in the instances where she comes from is very much like you have to go, you have to stand your ground. There is no, there's no commonality between you and your adversary or you and a person that you're approaching. It's just but why, kill or be killed. Why is she so adversarial to a team that is described as heroes? But, you know, the, yeah, the conversation I, about who the Fantastic Four are should set a distinguishing detail of, okay, how we would approach them. We're not... We're not beating them up for intel. We're here to have a conversation as essentially equals in a sense that, you know, how you approach this and is just going to make them more and more mad. It's a classic trope of comics where any hero versus hero Mm -hmm. is because of misunderstanding. Right. And I also think, I don't know if she was shown photos of the Fantastic Four. And these are the people that we're going to talk or are these guards up on the way to the people we're going to talk to? Lack of information, but she's right. action, She's making actions on it. Right. Reed and Sue scanning around. I, I do love... I, I love the characterization of Reed in here because he's just... 
he's a genius, mm-hmm. but he's also like a down to earth kind of guy. It, just the the wiping on his shirt and using mm-hmm. a little scan to get this readout of who Rasputin is as she charges. Yes, and and also like the way that she stops to speak to Reed, like she has it's it's this very one track mind of like my goal here is to speak to reed richards and you are in my way so out of the way out of the way i've got to speak to reed because she just like pops her sword in the ground and she's like we need to talk we need this information i need what's in your head give it to me i don't care that you retain it we require it yes you misunderstand a force field hmm well i'll just walk right through that so that is a point of contention warline bringing up the fact that and some several people online and that i saw Phasing should not be able to go through Sue's bubbles mm. because of the tight knit of molecules. And that's not how phasing would be able to go through. That's one of the few weaknesses of the phasing ability. Mm. Interesting. I do think that this, like the bringing back of, of punching the thing again, like I think that, that is a comical relationship that Skaboom. the two of them will have it's also interesting so again uh, a point of power sets Mm. colossus versus the thing would never go down like this the thing is stronger than colossus Mm. and i attribute it to being caught off guard especially the first time and even just coming in more conversationally in the second time and Ms. Marvel is like freaking out. Hey, we're all friends here. Yes. Stop punching him in the face. Ben loves it. Yeah, I think just that he's like laughing while yeah, it's happening. Yeah, a knock around guy, you know? Yeah. Like, yeah, all right, I'm here for a good fight. <laughs> but at this point of Rasputin's, I do not understand. If they are our friends, why did the great X take his knowledge? And if they were really our friends, why did they not assist us in our hour of need? Which is the question for mm-hmm. everyone against the mutants. Say, hey, where were the Avengers when the Sentinels were killing yeah. our children? Where have the Fantastic Four? You know, I, I think Sue's point about, hey, we, we saved the world twice, twice last, last week. week. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, this, this moment uh, where Reed sort of stretches at her and they basically come upon an agreement like all right, let's figure this out together because we've gotten, we, we get a little bit more information. Yeah, I love the, I like your wife as Sue mm-hmm. is threatening Rasputin. Uh, just the understanding that, okay, let's let's go in, let's figure out, let's flash back to that moment, this visual of a hollowed out section of Reed's mind mm. where the knowledge has been taken Right, like Charles and, and Magneto didn't just like do a quick job. Charles went in and did the deep dive. Yeah, he this was, really scooped everything out of there. This was precision. This was surgical. And conversationally comes up because of shared use of the word masking, mm-hmm. right? When when he said that the pterogenesis gave me my inhuman gift, it masked my mutant one, and Reed just... Blank stare reacts. Obviously, that's what it was. It was the tea mists. Right. Oh, great. Okay, there we go. Now we have this information. It was funny. But now we're done. So please get in the vehicle. There is no further purpose in being here. Yeah. Which, like, come on. <laughs> I think that there's like a a little nod to the seriousness. Well, not not just that, but like a little like neurodivergence or like autism in that like there's a focused task and there's not room or 
and I don't know how to say room, Limit, but limited sociability. Yeah, too, there, like, there's this. This is their, This is the thing that Rasputin is hyper fixated on right mm-hmm. now. You know, doing this thing. I don't have time for your other stuff because I'm I'm focused on this. And then they fly away in their car and a little breakdown conversation of Rasputin. Not a fan, uh, but I want a rematch. Yeah, and I think that that's fun. Sue's acknowledgement just about how not only have the X-Men suffered, but we all are facing an Orcus problem. Mm -hmm. Orcus being the villain of the Marvel Universe, which it should be building towards because of its multiple connections to villains larger than just the mutant cause. Right. She's like, well, I don't love how this interaction happened, but I do acknowledge that we all need to band together against Orcus. And then we get... Just the tiniest little cameo from our friend Dr. Stasis and our undercover ally Firestar. Yeah, Dr. Juggernaut teased in the future. So Kane tried to escape and Nimrod beat him in. And Stasis comes to the idea of, hey, I could extract the gem within Juggernaut and give it it to myself. myself. Yikes. Yikes. And... What is Firestar looking over her shoulder for? Who's there? Who are you going to talk to? I think it's more not wanting to look him in the eyes mm. as she's dealing with this emotional information, right? right? She's trying to gather herself before that next issue cover reveal as she seems to be at odds with the juggernaut, trying to stop him, but also trying to free him at I the same time. seems to be is yeah, the yeah, perfect yeah. phrase there. Yes. Juggernaut, our Krakoan. Mm-hmm. What do you think? Okay, so the reason that this story is my book of the week and Immortal X-Men isn't my book of the week is because this gives me more juicy things on the story that I am most interested in. Mm-hmm. The story of the fall of X that I'm personally invested in is the takedown of Orcus and the tactical team that is doing it. So getting more Rasputin, getting deeper into the information of like how do we – survive as mutants how do we take down orcus like you know kate doing her undercover thing getting that information from stasis like seeing orcus taking their further steps like all of that for me is why this was my book of the week i agree that immortal x-men had really crazy moments and huge reveals but for me the story that i'm most invested in is the story that is happening mostly in x-men and i think jerry's doing a good job juggling the plot points that he has Mm -hmm. right every book has their angle and i was talking to one more summer for a while about jerry's approach and Mm -hmm. how it's very here's a team doing a thing here's a couple of side plots versus so so theo did not does not like jerry as like the the mainline guy Mm. which i get i understand and and even chatter online about you know are we disliking jerry's direction it feels like jerry writes a solid team adventure and folks like hickman and gillen tell more like the world building adventure where teams can take place in and i would say that he's challenging that with this fall of x narrative and the idea that most of this is coming from jerry's hellfire gala start Mm -hmm. and here are now three pockets of teams in this overall narrative i I really love phil noto's work i enjoy these like tending to and bringing up plots the prison kate's census mission the long pull of the fantastic four x-men plot point Mm -hmm. i wasn't crazy about rasputin here and i generally love her character but 
it's her future speech and attitude that kind of threw me off. I've never liked how she refers to Xavier as the great X. The great X. I hate that. Yeah, I do too. But it, it's coming from a much darker future that idolized this person that gave hope. Mm-hmm. Right? right. So I think that there is a, a reverence to that. But I don't know. It's, it's, it's a mix of reactions. <laughs> the positive fan loved the way Duggan wrote Reed. And I'd agree. It was a fun voice for this, this super smart guy that, you know, just trying to get to the bottom of stuff. Yeah. I, I really liked how chill he was yeah you know it's like okay you're here all right like let's just take it one step at a time like i I wouldn't have been surprised if he had continued to eat his chips throughout the whole conversation big thinking brain you know i'm just just looking at the inputs right loki's son 22 was disappointed with x-men thought we'd see cyclops reacting and being freed by kate which would be interesting likely a longer game plot i feel i feel like Cyclops breaking free is going to be a big sure. win for the mutants. Like, I, I don't think he's going to like leave there quietly. So I think the build and the suspense to when is that going to happen and when is he going to be able to like completely destroy them? Yeah, that's. But I get it. Like you're like you're there. It's right there. You, you, you sold us me with it, yeah, and right. now it's it's but, gone. I mean, technically, the cover is him captured. Mm-hmm. It's not him breaking out, right. which I get, and that just. Right. I think there's expectations and delivery that were. I mean, Blonde China agrees. Raise your hand if you felt misled by the X Men <laughs> cover. Nods with everyone, which <laughs> made me laugh. Fake Torta calling it out. Stop with the clickbait covers on X Men. T also agrees. Putting Cyclops on the front page and seeing him only on the first few panels, kind of sad. But that plot is now teed up to play out later yes, on. And we'll yeah. see what the intention is. Rem Springer thinks that this current X-Men team is the most ragtag team we've gotten in a while. And he loves it. Loves that this is the main team. And I'd yeah. agree. Like, the, you know, the the v- voted on heroes of the island felt much more like celebrity status. Right. Where these are down and out. These right. are people coming together, picked up by their bootstraps to fight for the survival of their species. And a little bit more of the unsuspected ones, right? Like, I do think... Some of them who have been on the team, like Sink and Talon and even Kate, but like now she's in this persona where she's hidden in the shadows, right? They're not the X-Men that the villains might be expecting to come for them. Right. So it gives them a little bit of an advantage too. JP Didomasso feeling sad for poor Juggernaut. Tried to escape and got beat up again. Do you think he will succeed in gaining his power? I okay. Stasis. Ooh. This is a this is a question because you said it, and also this this person is saying it. I don't think I I didn't read it as he tried to escape. I read it as someone came in the room and saw him with the collar off that Kate had taken off, and they were like, "How did you get your collar off?" And then made him pay for it. I didn't think he because he, Kate told him to hold tight. So I didn't. We, we don't know how much time passed by. I, I'm. Pulling up the specific language, but I thought that it was... Juggernaut somehow escaped his adamantium collar, and luckily luckily Nimrod was on site. It beat his head in again. Yeah, uh, so it, I I took that as just like somehow they came in and saw that he wasn't wearing that collar anymore. I mean, all up to interpretation, he was going to escape, tried to escape. Either way, he got beat down and, right, and recollared. Right. So I think that that's the, the takeaway. What... The specifics happened, we don't know, because we don't know how much time went on between Kate freeing him and what was tried. Yeah, I just 
I, I guess I was just like, why would he try to do something when she said, wait till I get back? So just differences. She wanted opinion. him to wait until she left. Not, I don't think she was going to go back to his cell. She was seeing who else was in the facility. Yeah, she does say breakout tomorrow. But so you're right. There's not not a way of knowing how much time went by. I would be blown away if Dr. Stasis takes Juggernaut's power. I no, feel he like better not. He better not. I feel like especially with Juggernaut winning the vote sets him up to be a, a key member of this team. And I think the conversation, including Firestar and her reaction, is going to lead to her foe fighting him and letting him out. Yeah. Jai Rivera wondering why Kate didn't try to speak to Scott. Can someone please tell him what's going on? And it's hinted at in that one narrative box that passed out, drugged some kind of in stasis. Mm-hmm. But I would agree that Scott needs to find out. He needs yes. to know. He needs to be inspired. I feel like that would only torment him more because it's not like he can really do anything in his current position. But this issue got Mike Loves Mariah Carey curious about the FF and then being ousted from New York. Also, he said that magic flying car gives Harry Potter vibes. Yeah, and I'm here for, for it. sure. That was the first thing I thought when I saw it too. Like, yes. Right. It's classic Ron Harry Potter Weasley, movie. How dare you steal that car? <laughs> Future Dog Walker wants to know how we felt about Rasputin's characterization. She felt a little off to me, which I agree and think that through the conversation of the book, I think we arrived at a few reasons why this mm-hmm. might be. This is a different purposeful Rasputin who is trying to do something for the protection of the people that she has grown to love and care for and Mm -hmm. especially the lore of Miss Marvel and to be her back. But I do I do agree. It did seem a little devoid of emotion or devoid of uh, social cues. Yes. So I can I can understand where it's coming from because she hasn't always been portrayed that way yes the Pikachu wonders if reed using the tea mists in his x-gene cloaking tech could be a way to explain franklin's lost x-gene maybe overexposure did genetic damage and that's why he stopped reading as one mm. interesting i feel like if they wanted to retcon, retcon the, re- the, the retcon. very recent <laughs> retcon that everybody hated it could be an easy way into that yeah uh, i would be surprised but Interested. Warlion hates when X-Men writers write Fantastic Four. They always screw them up. Things Strength versus Colossus, it shouldn't have gone down like that. Sue's force field is a weakness to people with phasing powers. And if all it took for Reed to remember is someone mentioning the Terrigen Mists, then why didn't he remember it when the Maker stole the Team Mists in Ultimate Invasion, especially when one half of the mutants, when two of the mutants on the Illuminati that hate Black Bolt and... Uh, already and would probably annoy him because of that you know i i don't know specifically why this set it off i think the way that charles removed that information the fact that he had a mental block Mm -hmm. associating this this one thing with this other thing right and then the tee up from miss marvel about masking the mutant gene with the terogenesis i feel like was the the one-two punch of clue Right. It wasn't just, oh, saying the word Terrigen Mist or bringing up the mist. It was the connection between the mist and the, the inability masking. for Miss Marvel to access her power is yeah. where that connection is what triggered the remembering. Yeah. 
Well, Barusu 33 thought that the way that they figured it out was a little too convenient. I thought it was interesting. I thought it was fun, but it was very like, hey, here's this one thing. Yeah, I think it was on a page, but having it drawn out, having it drawn out to this point, the fact that it was a plot point tended to at the 2022 gala. Yeah. Right. When Reed says to Tony, I wouldn't know if they took it from me because they took some, they came in and put a whammy on me. Yeah. Barusu also thought that the... Kate and Juggernaut scene was really touching given their history, mm-hmm. which was interesting. Yeah. One more summer, like I mentioned, didn't like Duggan's writing here and the Rasputin and Miss Marvel scene rubbed them the wrong way, which, uh, you know, I think that that's, again, what we're talking about. But this protector role that she's taking on. Mm-hmm. Eric Huffman wonders if anyone feels bad for Scott yet or is he getting what he deserves? Will he get retribution? Alicia, do you feel bad for Scott? Yeah, I don't think he deserves to be captured captive with his eyes shown shut at it but like my issues with scott have to do with his like arrogance and what i feel comes across as like mansplaining often it's not that i think he's a bad guy it's just that i think that his personality is not one that I enjoy. Well, he was right. So okay. Well, <laughs> he is the X Men. Okay, so. <laughs> it's fine. that's fine. Everything's fine. Yeah, uh, but I, I don't think he deserves this by any means. No. I think he should he should get out of there. And I actually, you know, you posted something recently that was like a preview image or an art or cover. something, a cover, yeah, of him like tearing through. And and I I'm waiting for that. I want that. I. Like, want that vindication, and I want him to be the one that destroys that Orcus facility. Like, I want him to be like, oh, you held me in all this? Like, I destroy you now. And I think it would be so cool if he could, like, his rage or his, like, drive to defeat Orcus gives him the ability to use his eye beams without a visor and just, like, Mm. go ham on them. Vitorino said it's just really nice to see every hero in the Marvel Universe agreeing that Orcus are the bad guys. Mm-hmm. But poor Juggy can't even catch a break. Yeah. Yeah, right? Just back in the cell, back in the collar. Yeah. Sorry, Kane. If you thought that was a lot of thoughts and questions, get ready. Buckle oh, up. Because we got I mean, it makes sense. Because there's a lot going on in this issue of Immortal X-Men. Yeah, I mean, I don't think I even fully understood it. I, I, I finished reading it and I said to Justin, like, well, I don't get it. <laughs> right. So, anyway, here we go. Immortal X-Men. Let's talk about this. A cover of Apocalypse who's not Apocalypse. The cover I've been thinking about ever since I first saw it. The phoenix swirling on Apocalypse's arms. These two stories have been really well told, bringing us two, I'd say, equally interesting and building narratives about the remnants of the Quiet Council and how they're dealing in the aftermath of Krakoa. Mm. I like the cover. It's very epic. Yeah, it is. Here we go. Page turn noise. Eyes on Xavier. He's been pushed too far. xavier <laughs> There was a, a call for questions for X-Men Monday mm-hmm. this week, and I referred to him as Xavier in one of the questions, and I hope that that just <laughs> is the, the key to getting it selected. It will be a thing now forever. Yes, yeah, so Celine and Shaw still still wanting to get to that gate, still wanting to take those next steps, and how are we going to do it? Well, Shaw has a little, a little trick up his sleeve. He's got two things. One... 
the most precious thing in case I ever need it, which I don't. Not today and hopefully never. Today I have this. So an unknown referenced thing that is put away in this little side box mm. on that page. And then the reveal of his Hellfire armor, this mix of Iron Man technology and Hellfire Gala, or Hellfire Club faceplate mm-hmm. goon. And just the the royalness of him looking like, you know, the, the fact that Celine calls him out on not actually being associated with the Hellfire Club, but right. you still call it the Hellfire Armor. Right. You uh, don't even have powers anymore, bro. I don't need powers. I have an Iron Man. Okay, well, he gets, so he he's going to get into his suit, and we'll get into that after our title page. Apocalypse When? The Island of Dr. Xavier. Ooh, that that title made me... Especially having read it already and then reading that title again. Mm. Dr. Jekyll is all I'll say. Written by Kieran Gillen. Art by Lucas Wernick. Colors David Curiel. Letters Clayton Coles. This is Clayton Coles. Mark Brooks on the cover. This is Lucas's last issue of Immortal (gasps) X-Men. No. We will get to meet Lucas at (gasps) New York Comic Con. Jerry gets to meet Lucas for the first time. Oh my God. At New York Comic Con as well. Crazy. The highs and the lows of comics. All right. Apocalyptic narration as we see the images of testing on Krakoa. Mm. This road to revelation that Apocalypse has them on. The the dire nature of they will not survive this experience. And this version of Apocalypse is I'm not your Apocalypse. And uh, there's the Krakoa that Charles is on. And then there's also the Krakoa where everyone else is. That are that are all in question here. Who even knows? But hey, there's Egg. We've we've done it. We've gathered all of the five. They've been scattered throughout. Hey, hey. all of these bishops and wolverines. Mm. So these connections to Hope's subconscious and past experiences. When she was hunted by Bishop as a child. When she was attacked by Wolverine much later. And... The fact that that's what's making these be the avatars that show up. I do love that we're keeping it consistent that they are all still fighting in their Hellfire Gala looks. Yes. The fact that Egg appears in his you know, gold balls necklace. Yes. And, you know, now the the eternal life gang is back together. Yay. Destiny's got notes and she still hates everything. Yeah, especially Mother Righteous. She don't trust her. Rightfully so. Mm -hmm. Thank you, Destiny. Yeah. I like this sort of this art page where we're getting art that feels very reminiscent of the early images of Krakoa. You know, the parties, the circle of the The five. Cheering of mutant with the hands in the air. Yes, someone being resurrected. And Mother Righteous is tapping into the Elysium fields to Mm -hmm. get those memories because we don't have a Cerebro, so but we can still sort of do the job. Right, because she has abilities beyond our comprehension Connections to mystical realms and mm-hmm. magics. I, I think it was really interesting her reveal last issue as to why she didn't come out and say she was a mutant. If she is, she's not. Right. But because of the treatment of Scarlet Witch and then drawing her similarities to Scarlet Witch and the actions of creating the Elysium Fields. Yeah. But didn't she say she was a mutant? You're saying she lied? 
Yes, I'm saying that she is definitely not a mutant. She is just a no good, dirty liar that we love because of her chaos and the eventual betrayal. Uh, and and Exodus is sort of sassy over here. Enough! To destiny. She is useful. She has returned the five to us. She has returned immortality to us. Oh. He is on the train of... This is this is the promised land. This is what I'd seen in my visions. This is what we've been working for. This is the Krakoa that was promised to us. The fact that they are basically creating their own version of government and, right. and culture and actually bonding together because they're going through this struggle. This quarter million mutants are going to have a very different relationship whenever they get out of wherever they are. Right. And also it seems like they are kind of... They're not really traveling anymore. They're building a society in this this oasis that Mother Mother Righteous has given them. And Hope, thank dang you, dang you, Hope. Thanks. You said those terrible words to Mother Righteous. Like, what could it mean? What it could mean is there's a vision of another mutant over here. Destiny, Ooh. Destiny doesn't trust any of it. Mm-mm. Well, what do you have for us? Ah, uh, nothing. I just want my life back. I, I want my nothing. wife back. I just this. Interesting conversation with the the Kafka. Mm-hmm. Just like, you, you tend to it, you care for it, you you give yourself to what yes. loves you. And we're back on the Krakoan island that we've known for so long. And Xavier v Celine with Shaw in the background. And what happens? But dirty, Epic. dirty Shaw does a dirty, dirty double cross. Well, so Xavier reaches out to Emma. I think mm-hmm. that this is a you know a telepathic guest star of mm-hmm. the issue as trying to wait wait are we pushing are we talking again? Uh, I'm giving you an update. Fisk has stolen the Hellfire Club. I'm going to use this as a tactic to entice Shaw to be on my side. Yes, and you can see just the way that that second circle panel of Shaw's face is like, mm-hmm. well, you know, I do want my money and status back. And- right. And I mean, I have no problem switching sides, clearly. Right. So I guess... No allegiance to anyone. Whoops. He got through my psi shield and I have to blow you up. Sorry, Celine. Oh, I love this. I love this. I understand it's a deal. God, Xavier, I hate to think what we've unleashed... You were always a manipulative bastard, but murderous you is something else. And Xavier doesn't know what Shaw means. I haven't killed anyone. Oh, but you did, dude. You splayed their ribs out of them. You ripped them in half. You exploded a bunch of bodies. What does it mean? You killed many, many people, sir. Little quote from the book of Exodus. And the Lord said unto Exodus, Rise up early in the morning and stand before Apocalypse and say unto him, let my people go that they may serve me. And then uh, we come upon Jean Grey, Jean Grey, Grey, who is not in her Hellfire outfit, which is weird. She's in the Hellfire outfit of 2022. That became her costume. So she doesn't have the skirt cape part of it because that was taken away when it became her uniform. Which this is the... Uniform that she's been seen in the Jean Grey miniseries mm-hmm. with a direct pull from that dialogue, but he couldn't survive the Phoenix, not him, not even Scott, my distant, passionate Scott. So this was actually lifted from issue two mm-hmm. of the Jean Grey miniseries, a deeper connection, bringing that into the Fall of X line. Right. And uh... we're missing something. 
what are we missing? You're Satan. Ah, oh, yeah. Right, so I think the pull here is noticing Hope and her trials, her tests, the things that have been sent to her in this place. And then also seeing this version of Apocalypse, the connections to Exodus's early interactions with Apocalypse when he labeled him his Satan when it was years and years ago. So the fact that he would have more Egyptian adornment, the fact mm-hmm. that he would look a little bit more classic rather than techno-infused of the future apocalypse, mm-hmm. all explaining that this is not actually our apocalypse. This is a test from this location, from this place. And Gene uh, is now in chains and trapped here? Well, so Gene was in chains in that last image of last issue, right? Mm-hmm. In the Phoenix green, which is an interesting yep. switch. As Hope is putting together, like, what is going on? It's a revelation. It awaits you, girl. Are you ready? So she's going to tap into Jean's mind and find out a little bit more about what's happening. And we have this gorgeous image. Yeah. The connection between the two of them as their minds explode. And it's not that Jean is attacking Hope. So Exodus is a little bit worried. And, and it's not that. It's that Jean is on fire. Her whole essence is on fire. And then she asks, what's the white hot room? Which she should probably know. As a phoenix embodied person, right? As, yeah, having connection to the phoenix. And especially under Karen Gillan's pen, as uh, Warline points out. Hmm. But we don't get any more of that. We'll find out more of that in the Jean Grey miniseries and maybe the next issue that has Jean Grey on the cover. But what we do get is a little island walk. Ooh, we're going to find our friend Sinister's secret lab, are Uh, we? Well, Cyclops Monkey doesn't even phase anybody. Yeah, no, that tracks. Cyclops is Sinister's number one boy toy. Cyclops Monkey, Cyclops Cat, Cyclops Turtle. They're all there. As... Revelation cannot be denied, and Xavier sees on the wall, Don't kill yourself, please, in red, and a red diamond drawn on the reflection. Dun, dun, dun. What does it mean? Well, I guess it means that the sinister part of Xavier is still there and still active. That could definitely be one of the interpretations. Oh, also, the fact that Sinister is actively trapped in the pit and mm. Sabretooth has otherwise influenced the island of Krakoa, manifestations on Krakoa when he was trapped and tapped into that kind of god-tier power over Krakoa's subconscious. Yep, that's also true. There are the influences of Sinister's pets. I'd imagine that the Psychimp drew that or, or one of... You know, I don't think that it was Xavier that drew that. It could have been, though. Could have been. Could have we been don't because know. Because he's saying he doesn't remember killing anybody. So maybe the way he knows to get to this lab is because there's a sinister part of him that is active and kind of like takes over his mind and the rest of him is dormant during Dr. that time. Dr. Xavier and Mr. Sinister. That's exactly what I was pulling from the title mm-hmm. is the Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde subconscious overtake of this other character. So in a way, we're getting the villains, the villain Xavier that I wanted. Yeah. And it also has an out to make Xavier not that bad of a guy later on down the line mm-hmm. if we want to redeem. And is Sinister going to prove useful to the mutant cause? Right. Maybe. 
there's just so many things like just big picture so many like wow type moments in this issue shout out to lucas Wernick. Like, this oh, being yeah. the last issue of immortal as he's getting ready to start on fall of the house of x i loved this issue so much it's juggling a ton of different threads character and plot weaving connections to other titles and past plots this issue and the last page the Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde references in my mind. Like it just made so many intriguing questions Mm -hmm. and felt like it gave so many reveals that just hyped up for the next issue. Mm -hmm. I, I mean, I thought it was good. I just like, I am intrigued as to the connection between this and Jean Grey's story and, the white hot room and the fact that that's where everyone else is. I'm a little bit confused because we know, right? Like I, that does help make sense as to why Xavier can't reach all of them. But my understanding of what you've told me of the white hot room is it's like a place where people go when they die, like where their spirits go. Mm -hmm. And I thought that they had to have had a connection to the Phoenix in order to enter the White Hot Room. Potentially, yes. So I feel a little bit confused as to like how all of these mutants can be there if they have not been connected to the Phoenix ever. Um, You're doing weird little dances, which makes me think you have something to say about that. But Mother Righteous dances. Okay. Um, And A couple people point out... And we'll get into it. The Phoenix egg that she had had retrieved in the Sins of Sinister timeline Mm. and how that might influence her connection to. Plus, we know that she is the reason why the Krakoa Atlantic Island was taken and put somewhere else. Yeah. And I, I, I think this story of Shaw and his double crossery and how that connection to Will and in inevitably connect to what's happening in x-men because of what's happening with wilson fisk and the hellfire club and all of that that's exciting but i don't know there just seems to be so like there's just like two very different stories happening in this book so they don't it feels like two books i'd agree with that uh it feels like two books connected with voiceover narration but also connected to the thematic nature of the quiet council members and the overall structure that you think about this compared to season one of Immortal X-Men, mm-hmm. right? Individual narratives with overall tethering of Sinister's master plan. Yeah. This being two distinct narratives following a couple of council members still retaining that single member perspective as our narrator to a degree. Yeah, I think for me, the thing is, it's a great book and the story is great and the reveals are crazy and it's very exciting. But when we're in a time in X-Men comics where everyone is so spread out and there's already so much happening and you have multiple books already having their own individual reveals, then you get to this book that has so many things in it. It almost feels like my brain cannot handle that much in multiple comics to then have one book have essentially the same amount of reveals that all the other books combined have. Like, it just feels like a little bit like cannot compute overload, like, whoa. And Hmm. I think I just, like I said, I just care less about these characters in these stories. So it's, but it's good. It's good. It's crazy. I'm, 
I'm hesitant to say that I like, but I'm interested in the connection to everyone and Jean also being in the White Hot Room. Hmm. All right. That's just my personal opinion. Yes. It's not the popular opinion. I know that. Yeah. Remspring is starting us out with a side-by-side image, Jean Grey miniseries and Jean and Immortal. Remy saying, I love this kind of thing in comics. The, the side-by-side of that one quote line and, mm-hmm. and what the connection could be, how this now takes the narrative of Jean and ties it into something else. Mm-hmm. Blonde China guessed right about the white hot room, but it not only raises... So many more questions, but like, how's all this happening? And what do you mean the last of the five? If they don't give me an extra panel or two, I'm sending even more unnecessary Logans out there, mm-hmm. which was great. Yeah. I mean, it was, it kind of overlooked like, oh yeah, all the other saving and recruitment of like Proteus and Evil right. Bell. Right. But I do think it's interesting that in the white hot room, right? Like you're saying, there's like Jean's dealing with kind of playing with time and looking into her past and then like Apocalypse is there because he's part of he's a trial for Exodus and all the Wolverines and all the bishops are there because that's a trial for hope but how are other people seeing each other's trials you know like that's what's it because they're physically manifested you know like the it's taken the subconscious and made it real essentially Mm. Michael might have to review what he knows about unpigmented, highly temperature areas of space commonly occupied by one all-powerful flying, scorching combustion of a thing, LMAO, (laughs) the White Hot Room. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that article will illuminate a lot of curiosities that you might have on the history that has been written of this location previously. And he also thinks that it's time to lock in Mother Righteous as the Dominion is looking to control or fight the Phoenix Force. She did have a Phoenix egg in Sins of Sinister. Did she bring it with her and hatch it? Mm. Interesting, interesting. Jai Rivero wants to know how Mother Righteous is there. Am I wrong in thinking it's telepaths only? And it hasn't been shown to be telepaths only. It's been shown to be those with a connection to the Phoenix Force. Mm. So there have been, of the Phoenix Five, people who were not telepaths, that had access to the white hot room. Mm-hmm. And it's basically, it's like the Phoenix's home. And so anyone connected to the Phoenix in some way would be able to appear there or, or have sanctuary there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's my question. How all those other 250 million mutants be there? 250,000. That's what I meant. Yeah. Uh, Mother righteous. I, I assume, but again, we're going to figure that out as we go. Mm-hmm. J.P. DiDomaso has a theory about it. That same Phoenix egg that Mother Righteous had in the Sins of Sinister timeline is why they are in the White Hot Room. And I think that that is a detail to bring forward. And the fact that that was within Kieran and Al and Sai and what they were doing mm-hmm. and, and pulling that forward as a plot point makes a lot of sense. Yeah. You know I love a good, a good Easter egg. Hey, Phoenix egg. Fake Torta said that Immortal, between Sins of Sinister and Gala, was very reflective. Glad we're going back to going hard with these reveals. Is Xavier the Dominion in Sins of Sinister? That would be a great twist. Well, that would be crazy. Right? The the sinisterized Xavier and how that could be someone outside of who Sinister was thinking. Mm. Is there some balance of influence? I don't know. 
He's sad that Lucas had to leave Immortal because uh, it being before the end, Marvel should have paid the big money for Pepe on Fall of the House of X, mm-hmm. which, I mean, I would always be here for more Pepe. Yeah, but, but I think Lucas will I'm do a really great see, job yeah. with that, yeah. Especially to see him working with Jerry and, and to that being like the, the big send-off of his Krakoan era time. But I also see the... The disappointment in Lucas not being able to finish, finish out the run, this right. run. Yeah. Yeah. J.A. Auerbach, author, thought it was an epic send-off for Lucas in that last page turn. That's, mm. that's the big, like, what? What? Gilbert Rojo, 1022, asking about the last page. Is Sinister saving Krakoa? Question mark. Mm. Uh, I mean, saving himself. I think, let's say, Sinister is preserving himself and his entities on Krakoa. Yes, and it just happens to be for the benefit of Krakoa, but it's more about saving his own stuff. A. Amirian wondering, why is Immortal X-Men so good? We need more. And I think that, yes, uh, but also that might connect to the multiple stories being told mm. that you were reacting to, right? If this was two books or was twice monthly, then mm-hmm. we would be getting more of that narrative, more of that story. And I would agree and love it. But then also I think having this pushed into one book, cutting some of the in-between out and just referencing it, right, with recruiting of the five, with the reactions of what happened with Xavier, I feel like makes this feel like the better paced version of what things had been happening in previous eras of the Krakoan story, Mm -hmm. right? The fact that we are just boom, 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 barreling towards what's next. Right. That's what's exciting to me. Yeah. This is action, 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 action. Yeah. House of Rhetorica wants to know if we think that's A. And I don't think so. I feel like this has to be another version of Apocalypse from Exodus's mind, from Mm -hmm. his experience. Yeah. But it's interesting how this version of Apocalypse is also narrating. And I think the thing for me is like, how does that version of Apocalypse in what is essentially the white hot room understand and know about what's happening with Charles? Because they seem to be referring to Charles as in the same sort of state of revelation as the people that are in the white hot room. And that's for me where it gets tricky and confusing because it seems like that that is trying to say there's a connection between the two things, and I don't yet understand what that connection is. We don't know. It has not yet been revealed. But right. Apocalypse, our Apocalypse, is on his journey from wherever to whatever, mm-hmm. coming into Araco likely in the next couple months. The Pikachu wonders, since the White Hot Room is out of regular time, could this be how the five bring everyone back to fight Orcus? The mutants here have improved on Krakoan society, could we see a new council or system coming from this? Oh, God, I freaking hope not. Why? Just put that garbage mentality to rest. Like, a new system, great. A new council, no. Well, a new government system, I think, is what he means. Right, but that's what I'm saying. Is like, if they do things completely different, sure, maybe. But I don't need to see them reset the council. Sure. He questions if Forge's anti-sinister machine failed, or is this the effect of Curse's word to Xavier? Mm. Like, is he fearful of the the deep dark? I mean, she did say curse you, Charles Xavier. So, 
this could be his curse to be a sinister, to be evil, to not be what he thinks he is. Right. Which is right. interesting. Yeah. Pete Woods, 86, doesn't believe it. They're not in the White Hot Room. I still think they're in Mother R's orb. Also wondering if that's why Hope got Legion vibes because he's trapped in one of her orbs. Mm. There's like an interesting number of threads there, right? I think that there could be some distinction between the White Hot Room and the orb. There could also be some connection with that Phoenix egg drop. And is that part of the lore, part of the mythology that Mother Righteous has now absorbed into her orbs? I, I believe that Legion has removed himself from the battlefield. That right. He, in that Sons of X one shot, rather than falling to Mother Righteous, took himself out of the playing field so that she would not absorb his power into one of her orbs. It's interesting to think that the White Hot Room is an orb of Mother Righteous's. Sure, right? Like that that is where it has always been, you know? Yeah, right. Or where it now has been placed because of her collection of deities. Right, Right. so that's, that's an interesting thought. But for them to not be in the White Hot Room, I don't know... Or is there like some way that all of Mother Righteous's orbs are interconnected or something and the White Hot Room is one of them? Because Jean is definitely in the White Hot Room. Right. So for them, for Hope to see Jean, either the orbs are all connected, the White Hot Room is in one of the orbs, they are all in the White Hot Room. Like they, I just don't think that Hope would be able to connect with Jean in the state that she is in. Like she doesn't seem, Jean does not seem like a challenge or a construct of the White Hot Room. She seems like, she is there and with the, you know, verbatim dialogue pull yeah. that that is actually the connection. So, but, the, but it's so just what? a little floating idea right now that it's because hard it just to decipher it. Right. right. Because we don't have as many details as I'm sure we will get. J.R. Matt and D wants to know if Shaw can be trusted. No. No. <laughs> <laughs> no. What's Never. Professor X's long game? I don't know that he knows. I don't know. He's just he trying to protect plan. the island and figure out what's going on within him. But yeah, interesting. Curl's wondering if all those mutants are technically dead since they're in the White Hot Room. Did Mum put them there instead of the waiting room so she could use them for her deeds? That's what. That's what I was trying to figure out is like, how they could be there they must be dead but maybe there's some other tie but I, I agree curls I was I was worried that you know before when I was like they're not all dead that like they are but there is still a way to bring them back right well so she goes further asking if mom put them in the white hot room so she could then use resurrection to make the six from sword to get more mysterium I don't know if she wants to obtain mysterium to destroy all other magic wielders to obtain dominion or destroy Mysterium altogether. Either way, the linchpin of Eden being hidden seems super important now because he's essential to the mining of Mysterium, right? So mm. Manifold, Eden Fessy, mining that Mysterium, the yeah. connections that have been brought up, the fact that now that plot point is in Iron Man, right? the retrieval of, of Mysterium. Mysterium from the White Hot Room. The fact that Mysterium made a guest appearance in Strange, Doctor Strange's comic, mm-hmm. where anti-magic properties brought up again. And and in Wanda, mm-hmm. in the Scarlet Witch issues. Yeah. 
Edward III was left with so many questions at the end of Immortal. Seems the Jean Grey series might carry more weight now. The, and, and they don't think that the message was left by who it seems either. Seems too obvious, but who? So that message on the, the wall for Xavier, mm. is that actually sinister? No, I think it's it's himself. Himself, right? Under some manipulation or control mm-hmm. or wrestling with. Ashcan 91 is confused. Did Sinister get out of the pit? Or did Xavier turn into a Sinister again? I think I think he's got yeah, it in it's him. It's definitely the second one. I, I, well, I can't say it's definitely, but I feel strongly it's the second one. Yeah. It's, I don't know. I don't think he's out of the pit. I think his influence might be coming from the pit. So I do want to have that as a second horse in the race. That if it's not explicitly Xavier being influenced by the Sinister within him, could this be Sinister's other influences on the island, his lab, his creations, and their connection that he has to them? Mm. But I also think that there is a chance that because of the amount of like psychic power that's that Xavier had to use and the sort of questions he has in his mind and that like he's kind of anyone who had that much trauma could go through some kind of mental break and there there was an effort to sort of suppress the sinister in everybody that you know was resurrected but maybe this kind of triggered it to come back out yeah the the number of questions and just unknown bits yeah. is what makes it that much more interesting for me is like I don't even know right. what's next, right? Right. Bruiser thirty three calling out no Celine, even more precious than that. Even more <laughs> precious than my vintage porn collection. Oh, that was very funny. Yes. To me. When your friend is joking but you're dead serious. Like yeah. hey, come on. Stay on task. Vaderino, all caps, they're in the white hot room. Also, no, don't let Mother Righteous anywhere near the waiting room. This right. is a bad sign. Right. Right. That connection to all mutants, past and present. Yeah. That's intense. Yeah. I don't trust her. The Pikachu had a longer question. Jean said the same lines in Immortal as she did in her mini. Will this issue, slash issue two of her solo, is that the real her? Do you think this end with Phoenix being split between everyone in the White Hot Room since it seems like so far the Gene Mini is kind of saying that no one person can or should have so much power? Could it be imbuing itself in all of the mutants that are currently there? That's it wild. Could. Yeah, yeah, that's kind of crazy, but I like it. And especially to have recently seen Gene try that with Wolverine and Scott mm-hmm. and them not being able to take it in to to hold it two guys that you know are seen as very strong and capable and yeah one has previously wielded the phoenix force at least in a, a piece am friedrich adam wondering what that final page could mean it seems to me that xavier is or will become mr sinister is it undiscovered remnants of the sinister virus who wrote the note if he killed himself which i wouldn't mind after all after the deal he just made with shaw would he resurrect as sinister who's still in the pit somehow back to Shaw WTF. It's been giving Xavier the benefit. I've been giving Xavier the benefit of the doubt for this long during the Krakoan era, but is he really going to screw up the best chance the mutants have for survival on earth right now? The fact that he's now playing this side with Shaw. Also, is this somehow the gene from the current gene gray mini? Maybe I don't know enough about the white hot room, but that does, but does that mean for hope and Exodus, we're all 
The mutants following them, including themselves, absorbed into it when Jean died at the gala. There's so many questions about the room and about where people are that, you know, we don't know Mm. exactly how this works, how this plays out. I feel like, could they all be in this? Is this the same Jean? It it leads us to believe, right? right? The fact that she's saying the same thing, she's dressed in the same way. Right. These similar trials that she's going through as Hope and Exodus are facing their own versions of them. I don't know. I, I feel like, and Xavier trusting Shaw or working with Shaw, the lesser of two evils, right? He's right. just trying to he's just trying to pacify this attack and get towards the bigger picture. I don't think that's that sinister is Xavier or Xavier is sinister. I think that the sinisterness of Xavier is coming through and I do think that he wrote this message to himself and that he has this like dual personality situation happening. That's definitely set up to because, be like that. Because this, the Cyclops chimp, like the way that it's like around him in the mirror and the way that the animals like greet him when he comes in and and the way that the chimp points to the mirror, like that says to me that he has been here before and he has interacted with these animals. Like they didn't run and hide. They know who this person is. And the chimp is saying, hey, over here, this is the message you left for yourself. Yeah, this is what you need. Warline felt like Hope should know the White Hot Room based on her past continuity. He's picking up those same connections to the Jean Grey mini and the Phoenix egg that we saw in Sins of Sinister. That's the third time Charles gets possessed by Sinister. At this point, it's easy to blame everything bad Chuck did on Nathaniel and give the readers an animated series slash X-Men movies Charlie Charlie back, which I think would be a, a fun way to say, like, oh, Sinister all along, whoopsie. Why does everyone have an Iron Man suit nowadays? Did Doctor Doom leak this on social media? Mm-hmm. Yeah, or the fact that now Phalong has his Iron suits, Shaw has his. Everybody's just arming up. Armor Wars Part Three. <laughs> November fifteenth is when Jean's issue four comes out, and November twenty second is when Immortal X Men seventeen comes out. That's great, as we don't have to wait long for the gene content and hopefully the revelations of what's happening with the Phoenix and mother righteous, right? So that the one, two punch happening across these multiple stories. Yeah. It will be an interesting, it, it will be interesting to get more information. Maybe the gene issue will have more information, but maybe it won't. Maybe it won't. Yeah. Right. Maybe she's still just like trapped in her own mind dealing with this thing and she can't connect to them and we don't see how she connects to what's happening in Immortal until the next issue of Immortal because she is, as you've said before, on the cover. On the cover! The Krakoan was danger. Mm. I don't think we said that. Interesting. But that after, that was a lot. Whew. That was a ton. Well, yeah. It was a lot of good conversation, too, because a lot of questions are brought up in this issue. Yeah. And it's fun to be able to kind of launch our conversation off of thoughts that you all have as well you know like that's what makes us be able to come to other conclusions or think about other things and tease things out and it's like the more brains in solving the mystery the better in my opinion yeah yeah for sure that was a big that was a big nice light lighter week It it was a light week but it was also a heavy week exactly what's coming up next week while we're at the the New York Camacans. Magneto, number three. Oh. Hey. Wolverine, number 38. Okay. 
And X-Men Red, number 16. Ooh, all right. So another three issues. That's, another three that's issues. good. That's one of them, palatable. One of them not even Krakoan. You right. Know, maybe we'll do a, a lighter version of the episode or, or some kind of, I don't know. But don't make promises we can't keep. Yeah. <laughs> also, Avengers 6, Amazing Spider-Man 35, and Superior Spider-Man Returns, number one, for Ooh. all of those interested in what else I'm reading <laughs> as I get drawn further and further into the Marvel Universe. Well, if you're going to New York Comic Con, if you see us, say hi, because we would love to chat with you. Send and us a DM if yeah, you're going to be there. Let us know what's up and, you know, keep an eye out for us and my new Shadow Cat cosplay at the X-Men panel. What is that, Saturday? That is Saturday at, I think it's at 3.15 in the afternoon. Mm. Mm-hmm. Until next time, old friend. Charles. Sinister. Sinister. Thanks so much for joining us today on the Ex-Wife Podcast. Be sure to leave us a review and tell your friends. The Ex-Wife Podcast is produced in Providence, Rhode Island by Alicia and Justin. Our music is by Quan. 